looking for the king of podcasts, you're at the wrong channel. Looking for good ideas for life, you are far from good hands. If you think the listener is always right, you are far from the right place. Hosted by Northeasterner by birth, a rebel by choice. If you want a host that floats between love and madness, then play on and listen to Crazy Train Radio. You drive me wild. <laughs> what up, Crazy Train Radio? You look like hell. And I could look the same. What's the photo for? You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Truth, 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 I'm one crazy nerf Hey there, Friday fans. We know how much you enjoy the movies. Enjoy grabbing your Friday merchandise and interacting with the Friday family, whether it be at conventions or during our particular watch-alongs. Well, when you're looking to get yourself masks, why not check out our friends over at Camp Blood Customs out of New York State and order your specific custom mask from any of the films. All orders are made specifically. Your needs and wants are. Make sure you find Camp Blood Customs on Facebook, Instagram, and all over social media and order yours today. I'm Julie Michaels, and you're listening to Crazy Train Radio. Hey folks, it's your least favorite host in the podcast world, Croc. 
Jonathan Steele. And boy, do we have a good one for you today. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, this next guest is as beautiful as she is talented and tenacious, even though with all that, and because of all that, she is a multi-nominee for Emmys and to other positions in the entertainment industry. You would know her as Denise from Roadhouse, which we, I was just kidding about, Miss Julie Michaels. Howdy. Howdy. How are you? And are you doing better than we are here in Philly with the snow and such that we had today? Well, I know this sounds uh, uh, pretty uh, lame, but it's been really cold in LA. Like I train in the mornings outside. It's been like 39 degrees. So it's, it's not usual for us, but um, it's a welcome change for sure. Okay. So got to ask then, because I know you've had an athletic background and we'll get into the stunts and stuff, but what kind of training do you usually do these days? Uh, mostly martial arts. I do, uh, I walk a couple hours a day uh, training with my dogs and then uh, martial arts in the afternoon. Any particular discipline or do you do multiple disciplines? I study mostly Yerkitakan, which is Benny the Jet system. And um, I train with my daughter. Okay. Always wanted to talk to Benny the Jet, not only because of the many movies he has been involved with, but he is about when you uh, talk about true badasses. <laughs> There's Benny the Jet for me, and this is going inside baseball because most people think of you know current MMA and stuff, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I think of Benny, and the other one is most people would know, uh, Judo Gene LaBelle. Uncle Gene. Yes. So... Those are the two that, you know, will always, you know, they set the standard. I've always said the only person that wears a pink gi better than I do would be Jean LaBelle. <laughs> oh, yeah. And got to love the personality, too, because I tried to book him one time and we actually chatted on the phone for a few minutes. And for me, it was like I was excited to be just talking to him, but it was like just the stories. I would hear about Gene from guys like Anthony, who I just mentioned, Anthony DeLongis, uh, Roddy Piper, and guys throughout the years who have dealt with Uncle Gene, as you said. <laughs> yeah, so. He's pretty much the legend in our town, and uh, I'm lucky enough to call him friend and um, uh, never want to make him mad, that's for sure. No. I was also lucky enough to be one of the hosts of his roasts. Um, several years back. So that was great. Uh, that I am a fan of roasts, but I don't think he'd be the guy I'd want to roast. Right. <laughs> yeah. Just, just knowing that background of his. <laughs> you had to make sure you had a good getaway away from him once you were done off the show. Where, where is the exit door here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh boy. So, uh, I know when we chatted on the phone briefly last week, because it was, I'm going inside baseball again here, folks, and tried to do this back in the late summer, early fall, whatever. Scheduling couldn't work out, which is cool. 
So I had to reach out in the past two weeks, whatever it was again. And, you know, because Julie said, keep in touch and this, that and the other, and which is awesome. And so I said, hey, what's the schedule looking like? And it was like, call me. My assistant's going to put you right through. I'm going. And when I got that email, I'm going, I'm sitting in the middle of a Target parking lot. I'm hoping she's not going right now. Call the number. Oh, yeah. We're expecting your call. Right through. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> but luckily it was just a scheduling call. I'm like, oh, I'm not, I don't have anything here in Target. Yeah, I'm picking up toiletries and such. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we finally got it worked out. Sure. Yeah. But thank you for doing this. So obviously I want to go a little further back because I saw a couple of interesting notes and I'm curious to know because rumor has it, we know everything on the internet is true. I, I know. Right. With that look, but I heard growing up that you were learning to be a better communicator because you weren't proud of or the self-esteem wasn't probably where it should have been. So well, is that true? Yeah, let's put it this way. I was not a very pretty young girl. And my dad used to say, put a bone around her neck. Maybe the dog will play with her. Um, so I had to learn. And, and I'm, at, you know, I actually look back at it and I'm really glad about it because I had to learn how to be in a better person, a better communicator, a more involved person, um, uh, less absorbed from what I'm doing and what I do would be uh, advancing other people. And um, by the time the two kind of caught up, um, I, it, it made it a little different. Like Roadhouse was a little bit difficult for me because it was only in the last few years that I had kind of grown into myself. I grew up, I had very bad buck teeth. I was very nearsighted. So I had big glasses. I had dirty dishwater blonde hair and I was flat as a pine wood. So um, so once all that, I was a gymnast at the uh, University of Washington. And once I quit, then my body kind of started catching up. It wasn't all about muscle. It started to become a little more feminine and um, started to realize that you don't, I don't have to always be that ugly duckling. But by then I was so used to just still being very engaged to people and really wanting to um, help and make a difference and not so um, insistent on just what was happening for me, but kind of like what I'm doing now in the business. It's not as much about my career as it is the career of all these young people in the business, trying to give them a pathway in, um, guiding them and teaching them. And um, I think that was God's way of in the beginning going, this is your path. This is what I really want you to do. I'm going to give you, you know, your moments, but I'm going to also use you to teach and help others. And, you know, it's funny that you say that. And there's been a couple of times throughout the history of this have taught serious things such as mental health and different things like that. And you mentioned that after the going to school and such that you kind of developed into the, oh my God, the gorgeous woman, this, that, and the other, and more feminine and whatnot. But the first part of that, how much did it uh, affect your mental health? Uh, when did it click for you to go, oh, I can be both, if that makes sense? Oh, it's probably right before Roadhouse. 
Um, you know, I was bullied a lot in high school. I actually got chased down by two girls through a, a river or, and a, a running back home, trying to get away from them and to keep from being beat up, which was the initial reason why I started martial arts, actually. Um, uh, I just felt like this is, I, I didn't, I tried not to let anything bother me. I was involved in horses and gymnastics and I loved animals. And I just found other ways to, to get the affection that I needed and wanted as a child, I don't ever really look back going, that was a bad thing. It just motivated me. Like fear motivates me. I don't let it get back to me. If I have to do a big gag, I, I, I use it to motivate me. So if something's wrong, it's the catalyst for me to perpetuate myself in a, in a better and bigger direction instead of sitting back on my laurels. So for me, and, and I tell this to, you know, as many people that want to listen about it is that you got to take adversity and use that adversity to stimulate you to, to drive, be the driving force. If we all got everything really easily, would we really try anymore? Mm -hmm. Well, would you say that would fit the other thing I heard about you being that you were always itching to learn and you get bored easily with just one thing? Yep. If anybody knows me very well, they know I've got my hands in like nine things at one time. And I, I just can't sit. There's just too much life to experience, too much stuff to get done. I run two businesses, a new business called Stun Access, which gives actors and stunt performers access right to coordinators and right to casting directors. And I, I love it because I see their, their careers grow way faster than they ever would waiting for the phone to ring. There's, it's such a hard business to be in. And this gives them a catalyst. I have my own production company. Mm -hmm. uh, we, at any one time, will have three or four either television shows or TV sh or films that we're doing. Um, I have two kids, one who races pro, and I'm, I'm constantly working with the veterans, um, the National Veteran Foundation to raise foundation money so that we can put our logo on that gorgeous car rack back there, if you can see it. Uh, it's really important to me to, to sponsor the vets, so. See that beautiful veterans uh, logo right there. So any of you uh, great people out there who have have a great business you want international um, publicity for, let us know. So I I try to um, I keep my day really busy, but I tell you what, by four thirty or five, I get up at about three thirty or four thirty in the morning, and then about four thirty or five, I'm like, that's it, that's the end of the day. So if anybody calls me after like seven, they're probably not going to get me. Yeah, it sounds like by 4.35 o'clock, you're ready for a glass of wine, something to eat. And... Yeah, yeah, exactly. But because you didn't mention that about the vets, hold on. We do something similar here oh, with... Oh, I love it. Beer mugs. And I'll oh, send you... Oh, yeah, yeah, I saw them on your site. Yeah. What's it to do with vets? Well, anyone that goes, or anyone that has purchased, I should say, the royalties go to a group out of Seattle. What, what group in Seattle? Uh, Operation Ward 57. Nice. I knew I loved you, Jonathan. Yeah. So, That's yeah, I, I, I will send you a link and all to that as well. Yeah. Great. I'll but, put it up. I'll put on Instagram. I'll support it. Attaboy. Yeah. Figured, you know, it's a, you know, I'm being a Northeast guy, I should say. It's, I got to get a good feeling. It's either positive or negative about folks. And it's with them, it was always a positive feeling. So I said, okay, they're the ones that I will support, if nice. that makes sense. So, yep. perfect sense. So, 
obviously we were talking about you learning to be a better communicator and such. And I heard in a previous conversation that you had done that you were not afraid to uh, speak up and whether it be personal or career wise that you were, if there was times you needed to speak up, you would, even if it meant losing your job or the particular gig. Yep. Is that because of what you learned earlier or we, well, obviously part of that would be having to do with safety because you do a lot, like you said, with stunts and stuff like that. So how does that intertwine with what you do now with the hands in nine or 10 different cookie jars, as you said? Um, I, I grew up in a military family, and so there were a lot of ethics involved. And mm -hmm. I learned very young and then began to study it later. Um, I actually took continuous ethics, um, personal values and integrity courses because it was really important to me to always be as ethical as possible um, so that I could put, you know, I could sleep at night. And so sometimes there's times on set where, you know, I walk on set and people that don't know me it sometimes might be a little bit hard to look at me and say, you're a stunt coordinator until they get to know me and then they understand. Um, but I don't, I'm, 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 I'm going to uh, use a phrase from Roadhouse. Uh, I'm nice until it's time to not be nice. Mm -hmm. And the reason is in the end, the only thing that really matters is your integrity and your ethics in the very end. And uh, I work very hard at that. And um, I'd rather, I'm not motivated by money. I am motivated by ethics. But would you say most people that you work for, whether it be directors, writers, production, you know, the people that bring you and your crew on appreciate that, that you're going to give them your honesty? Absolutely. Because uh, in the end, it's getting the job done and getting done safely and effectively and as under budget as possible. And that comes from people who actually really care. And the like-mindedness seems to, you know, seems to be the catalyst for all of it. And when it's not like-minded, it's really easy to just go, I'm sorry, this is, this is not for us. It's not gonna work out. I have been fired off for shows, big shows, because I, I wouldn't let them do a stunt a certain way. And uh, in the end, again, like I said, it's for me, it's not about money. It's not about the job. It is about, creating an environment of safety and ethics. Well, coming up in the field that you are in, I heard you were, you tended to hang out more with stunt folks and which led you to be a coordinator where you are now and all, but what was it that led you that way? Do you think to, I want to hang out with this group of folks. More fun. I mean, if you go to the movies, it's you know, it's it's a thing I always complain about with the Oscars. Why they don't have stunts as a category? It's crazy to me because the the thing that most people remember, and you get the you lose your breath uh, in a film, is usually the stunts. And on set, it's the same way. They're you know, they come into town like they're heroes, and yet they're the nicest people on the planet. And it's a team effort. And as a collegiate um, athlete, I, I bonded with team. It's you come in as a team. It's not a solo as an actor. I find when I'm acting, I'm still trying to find who else is like on team to kind of 
collaborate together. Um, but with stunts, it's completely different. I've seen two guys on street who would go fisticuffs. They hate each other so much, but on set, they'll, they will risk their lives to save each other. And it's that, um, that dedication and that excitement and that you come home at the end of the day and you just go, that was the greatest thing ever. But you went there with like the biggest hole in your stomach, just excited as heck, nervous. Did I do this? Did I think about this? We remember this. We did just the constant planning, 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 planning. And then to come home after a fabulous day, like, like on SEAL time, we did something called a spirid, which is where we have our, our, our six SEALs up on the cliff, on a cliff. We have a helo come in, drop a line, they all clip in, and then the helo picks them off the cliff and flies them like Spider-Man, all six of them across the desert. And it was tons of planning and, and tons of cooperation and tons of communication. And when it was done, uh, my, my husband and I literally sat down and cried. We were so thankful to God that it went well. And we were, it was such an amazing thing, something never, never, ever seen on television before. And I was so proud of those guys and our entire team, our Hilo guys, uh, our aerial coordinators. Um, and of course, um, you know, the second unit direction from my husband, I just, um, it's one of those things that I know and at the end of my life, it'll one of these things I'll be most proud of. And it's a veteran show. <laughs> well, it's funny, and I'll get to this particular flick in a second, but uh, friendly with uh, Kane Hodder, who is a fellow hey! stuntman, and like I said, we're going to get to Jason Goes to Hell shortly when I dive actually into the movies, but, and when I mentioned your name to him, he goes, shakes his head, chuckles, he goes, complete badass, you know, he, the respect he had for you was, or has for you, I should say, is reciprocated here yeah he's like he just smirked and goes yeah, <laughs> she, she's a badass <laughs> yeah but in a definitely a good good way yeah. but you were talking about that stunt with the helicopter and everybody clipping on and doing their thing what would you say is the most difficult stunt that you would try to plan that would it would have been that but Obviously, you're not doing, yeah, because you're normally not, or I shouldn't say normally, because anything from the stunt world is not exactly normal. Right. But with that being said, there is stunts in usually anything, whether it be the simplest, I'm going to drive down the street normally. But yeah, what, on a typical project, what would you say is a very difficult stunt that you would say and go? that most people may not think about uh, I think the sometimes we like you were kind of lend it to no, spoke about that sometimes some of the some, some more simple stunts are a lot more complicated than you think and nine times out of ten even though we've had production meetings and stunt meetings and pre-production meetings and tone meetings and tech scouts and all that it almost never is exactly the way you plan it so you have to have a bag of tricks to be able to get through that. And some of the most simplest things are things that people get killed on. We've had people get killed on a, on a 15 foot fall, not on our show, thank you, goodness, but in our in the business, we've, it, you know, it, it just takes one lapse of not thinking it through or not looking at all the safety measures or thinking, oh, it's close enough or hurry up, we gotta rush because we're losing the light. No, no, you don't gotta rush. The only light you don't wanna lose is the light in your, your head. 
So um, you have to think even the most, you, never let your guard down, I guess is the thing, because it, it takes almost nothing for an accident to happen. Yeah. Well, what is your, and I've mentioned his name already, Kane Hodder, being a buddy and all to what we do here on the show. And I got his opinion on this, but when they look at potentially hiring you and your company and everything else to come in and handle the stunts and stuff, and they give you the script for either the TV shows for the series or a movie or whatever the case may be, what do you look at in terms of trying to plan? Okay, we can do this. We have to look more in depth in this. You know, how do you look at everything to say, all right, this is what we need to do. I think it should cost X, you know I mean? We, the planning process of everything. Well, I think the most important uh, thing that Peewee and I do is look at the tone of the television show or the movie. Um, a stunt that's written might be a completely different or shot completely differently in a drama than it would in a comedy than in a TV show than a feature. Like if you're if you're budgeting for a television show, you got almost no time. So, you know, that shot's got to get done in six hours, where in a feature it might be six weeks. So it has to adapt to the medium itself. So that's the first thing we look at. The second, we look at how does it how does it affect the characters? You don't want to overshadow the characters. It want, it needs to be at the level of what that character is. Otherwise it won't mesh. You're not helping the production. You know, old days we were looking at the bigger, the better, you know, just cause they were fun, but it doesn't lend itself to actually helping the project. And in the end, that's what you really want. So you really have to take your ego out of it and you have to think what, what would this character and how would this character do? One of the things that we do especially good is things that look very real. We did a series called Southland, my husband won two Emmys for, um, because it was so real and we couldn't use all the tricks and the bells and the whistles that we normally did in editing. We would shoot these car chases and crashes in with one camera and you could never see belts, you never could see any protective gear. And it was a challenge. I remember when we first looked at it, we're like, how are we gonna get this done? And now we look at it, nine times out of 10, we've we put our fights together, we basically say to the actors, all right, um, let's see what you want to do. Feel it out. The fight on the roof in, in Southland that won us the Emmy, that he dropped 100 and, uh, I can't remember, 60 feet or whatever it was. Uh, the fight on the roof, Pee-wee just said, hey, you two, you're both athletic. Just grapple, go for it. And it was so real and not staged fighting that that became kind of our MO. So we look at where we can uh, input really very realistic stunts, especially in dramas, because it lends itself to then not be so overshadowing to the performances, but a compliment to them. Now, before we get into your movies, my follow-up with that would be, where do we make the decision? Because obviously everybody's got an ego of some sort, good, bad, and different, but where do you set the line of, okay, an actor, you can do this, we're going to do this, and you explain the process to them to, you know what, in this case, let's bring in a stunt devil to do this particular. That's a great question. We like to use the actors as much as they're willing to and production's willing to let them. If we think they can do it safely, we'll educate them. We'll generally always have a double there just in case they decide, oh, I just don't want to do this. 
Um, ben McKenzie jumped building to building on that shot, 165 feet in the air, building to building. And um, I remember that the production asked several different coordinators, would you let Ben McKenzie do this? And they all went, no. And my husband's like, well, we are. We know how to do it. We know how to do it safely. And if he wants to do it, we're going to let him do it. And he did it. And it was awesome. It wasn't CGI. It wasn't somebody else's face on it. He did it. But it really has to do with how the actor feels. And uh, there are a lot of actors out there, as you know, that are very, very physical. But the, with that being said, we also have to look at what their schedule is after because you don't want them sore the next day when they've got to do a six pages of dialogue and it might inhibit their performance, which is what I talked about in the last time. So it has to really benefit the actor more than anything else. And like you said, there's this whole the business side of things. Those insurance companies and stuff when you're dealing with big budget projects might go, hey, time out, you know. Yeah, sure. Yeah. You know. So far, so, you know, we've we've made our careers on making the actors look fabulous and finding actors who could do it. Um, part of the thing that we are blessed with is uh, this thing called Stun Access, www.stunaccess.com if you're interested, um, where you can find actors who do a certain amount of action. So instead of buying hiring a, a stunt performer and a, uh, and a um, actor, you get it all in one. So it's half your budget and twice the bang on screen. Exactly. Well, I know I mentioned Jason Goes to Hell, and that was probably the first project that I hit, at least time frame wise, even though it was complete opposite in terms of making them, that I saw you in. And like I said, before we uh, got started, that Director Adam Marcus says hello. He's a friend of the show. Great yes. guy. Yes. Well, before we get into that, did you uh, participate in the documentary they're working on for that? I did. Happily. <laughs> well, it was funny. And I heard the story, but when I was talking to him today, just saying, oh, by the way, I'm going to be talking to Julie and such. He's like, oh, my God, I love her to death. She's the greatest. But make sure and I already knew the story or had heard it. He goes, remember to bring up and get her perspective of the night she, you came in and worked and ran so much that you cut your feet up, but you know, sold it. Oh, I'm good. I'm good. Even though he looks down, sees your feet bleeding and ended up at the end of the night, carrying you off the set. To he did. Get I your love feet. that picture carrying me away. <laughs> yeah. I'm just one of those kind of people. I, I just, you know, I love the business so much. And I'm just so happy anytime I get to work in it that um, you just want to give 190%. You want to make a difference. And it, we're in the middle and I, we didn't have a lot of budget. And I was just like, we'll just get it done. So and it was really fun. But I have a bone pick with uh, Kane Hodder because if you remember in the film when he chases me out of the cabin and I jump over the car. Yeah. I wasn't supposed to jump over the car. I was supposed to run around the car, but what happened was he hid behind the door and he, it, even though he's in the scene, he wasn't in that take and I didn't know it. So he hid behind the door. So when I came out of the door, he opened it. And again, we're up in the woods and it's, you know, crickets and all kinds of woo and owls and stuff. And I'm not a horror fan. I have to tell you, this is, it's really bad because I do, do horror. I ha I'm too scared to watch them. It scares the crit out of me. But I got talked into this and I'm glad I did because I got to meet Adam. So he jumps out from behind the door and I literally jumped uh, off the stoop 
over the over the railing and over the car like Starsky and Hutch. And when they said cut, Adam goes, that was awesome. Why'd you do that? I was like, you, him. <laughs> Talking about Kane. Yes. Now, now, was this Kane <laughs> in terms of him? And excuse me for saying this. Was this in terms of, because he's told, told me stories, of, but he's also known publicly for fucking with people. So was this one of those, I'm going to fuck with her type deal? Yeah. And you know what? It turned out great because they, it was all really real. My fear was absolutely on point. Um, but yeah, you know, and hey, whatever it takes, man. Um, uh, to this day, it's I think it's one of my funnest scenes. Because <laughs> and I would think when you describe that and I know when you say about the scene where you jump over the car and stuff, it'd be like, I think it would be a concern, especially in 92, 93 there whenever it was done and came out that some people be like, Oh my God. Cause spoiler alert, folks, she came out of the house wrapped in a towel. So be like, Oh my God, you know, <laughs> you know, like from that kind of, you just made this an X-ray it, you know, even though you can't see nothing. Yeah. It's a good thing. I didn't lose it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but the other thing that stood out from this, particular flick as well and i have to hear the story i'm sure it's been told is not only did you learn to jump from a high position it obviously before you left the cabin but you happened to meet your husband on that set actually it was it that was the first time we had worked together actually okay. not. yes kind of the first time we worked together we actually met on a, a, a horror film called dr mordred we didn't meet on the set though, because I wasn't doing stunts in those days and he was the coordinator. We actually met at the rap party. But then um, he was actually the catalyst for me doing this film when Adam asked me to do it because I'd never done stunts before. I didn't know how to do a fall over a railing. I didn't, but I was game to learn. So he took me out and trained me. And um, so I did my first high fall with him. So yeah, it was kind of a first for us for sure. So yeah. And I know that particular picture had several couples uh, blossom out of that. You know, you guys, Adam and Deborah, you know, there's several different couples that blossomed out of that in a we good got way. scared into the relationships. <laughs> I'll put it this way. In you and Deborah's case, more so Deborah, I would say yes. <laughs> and I, I know I'm going to get a text about that, but... <laughs> Why are you sticking up for Deborah? But no, but uh, absolutely. Now, another famous fight scene. And I believe this would have been before Jason goes to hell that you may have had a, uh, or I should say, I at least heard that you were skeptical on doing was point break and fighting with Keanu Reeves. New York Times obviously had a big mention about you in that, in that scene, but. What was the issue with Point Break? Uh, I guess I had a dream there was going to be a film called John Wick, and I wanted to make sure I was the only one that's ever taken him out. Um, actually, I was <laughs> cast in another role, and uh, I got a phone call from the stunt coordinator, and um, his name was Gun Wilder. We called him Wild Man Legend. He's gone now, but super amazing man. And he called me and he said, I want you to switch roles. 
And I said, why? And he told me, because he said, I can't find a stunt woman that's going to fight in the nude to double this girl. And I know, you know, I know you've trained with Benny. I know you can do this fight. It's going to be amazing. I go, well, wait, wait, wait a minute. And I'm looking through the script and that, no, that's completely naked. And he's like, I know, honey, but I really need you to do this. I'm telling you, it will be the scene everybody remembers. I go, yeah, because I'm naked. I said, you want me to throw kicks naked? Really? And he was pleading with me and I loved him so much. He was such a great man. And I was like, oh, how do I get out of this? And if I, something inside of me just said, you know what, just do it. And I, I said, okay, I would do it. And that became the fight scene between me and Keanu Reeves. Now going inside baseball here again, with that, obviously you do it in the nude and everything else like that. Now I know behind the scenes that when it comes to contracts and everything, when you're hired to do a project, there's usually a clause and folks you'll notice because I just did an episode on JFK, the president, not the movie. Uh, so we know I don't have a legal background, but there's usually clauses about what they will and won't show as far as nudity and stuff like that. So did they have to go back and redo your project since you switched roles? Yeah, they have to do what's called a nudity writer. Yeah. And it's an addendum to your original contract. And remember, too, that they have to follow the guidelines of, um, of the film industries for ratings. So uh, they get judged by that. Um, I, I think once I got on set and met Catherine Bigelow, our director, um, it was in a time when there weren't very many female directors, especially for action films. And I wanted to give her all. I wanted to, her to feel like she could say and ask for anything and she'd get it. I wanted her to feel when, she, when we finished the scene that she was super proud of it and that it was graphic and, um, and scared people or shocked people. And I think we achieved that. And, um, you know, it, it, I, I feel very proud of being a woman that's um, not afraid to take chances, and especially for people that we care about. And I really appreciated her. And so she was a big catalyst for me doing that fight that well. And I'm going to go back to earlier part of the conversation when we were talking about your self-confidence and just everything else. And then you blossomed to where you felt comfortable with yourself physically and all that. When you agreed to do this scene for point break and change characters and everything else, and knowing you were going to fight completely in the nude, did this on a personal level ever go? Like, was it like a mind uh, work kind of thing that for a confidence issue or were you like I'm confident of what I am and how I'm built and just everything at that point it's such a great question I haven't really thought of it more than just it's my job and as soon as you take it out of it being personal and it becomes this character and what you've committed to this director then it, it, it's not even about me anymore it's about her and I know that I do a lot better when I'm doing something for someone else than necessarily for myself. Um, so there was just no fear after that. It was like, no, we're, this is going to be badass as badass as possible. And I'm, I'm doing it to help her. And that made it so easy to do. 
so easy to do. And easy to commit. So obviously I mentioned in the introduction that many people are familiar with you from Roadhouse. And apparently you had just moved to LA a few weeks prior to this audition that you weren't really even going for. So what was that story? Well, you've done your homework, dude. Wait, I got something else, but go ahead. <laughs> just wait. Uh, so, yeah, that's true. I, I moved here. I actually had just driven across country and a friend of mine was going in to see an agent and he said, just come with me. I'm like, all right. So I was sitting in the waiting room and he came out after his meeting and the agent looked at me and he goes, are you an actress? And I said, um, yes, sir, I am. He goes, come here. And uh, he brought me in the office. He goes, he writes down a piece on a piece of paper, goes, I want you at this address tomorrow. I was like, well, what is it? He goes, don't ask what it is, just do it. So that was the first of several auditions and it was for Roadhouse. Nice. Now, obviously I love this guy on all his projects that he has done or continues to do. And you would understand why, but Sam Elliott, what is it about Sam Elliott? And I know you had a positive experience with him um, working with him. Yeah. Um, uh, the last time I saw him was at the Emmys and he just, he has this ability to make you feel so special. Everyone, he just opens himself up opens his arms up it's almost like he he has a big indian blanket and wraps it around you he just is the most humble dedicated loving human being i think i've ever seen in my life and and he's that way with everybody it's not just you know one or two of us he's just different he's absolutely different and he, and uh you, you can't do anything but grin around him <laughs> well Obviously, and this is going back to 2013, early in our history, did a, I am big into, because we are sports and entertainment and whatnot, we did a special, it was probably about two hours long, of Jeff Healy, because, and I had an opportunity to speak with his widow and his former manager who runs his estate now, and you know, different people and whatnot. But for you, what was your experience like? Because I, you hear the stories that, like, even during breaks, Jeff would just be sitting there playing and everybody be very relaxed. So, do you have any good Jeff Yoey stories? Um, I think the, the dance for him, um, I wanted to include him. I didn't want him to be the musician on one side and me on the other side. And we had choreographed this whole dance really well. And something in, in, in me just went, I want to make sure I include him. And I, I just rubbed my hand across his back as I went past him and he stopped playing and the music was still playing. <laughs> and I went, Oh gosh, I hope I didn't mess him up. <laughs> and he was so sweet and humble about it. 
he he didn't really like the filming process because he wanted to be on the road. He was like, why am I doing this? I go, Jeff, you have to understand. It will, it'll make you an international star the minute you're seen. Yeah, but I'm wasting time. I'm not playing. I should be playing. And he was, he complained a lot. He really did. He was so passionate about his music. And this, this other world was just silliness to him um, that he, he, between takes, he would play, he would play to warm us up in the morning. He played with Christine W. when she came in to sing. She, she did one of the songs on, on uh, Roadhouse. So she'd get up and sing with them. And then I even talked to Joel Silver and getting, letting Kathleen Wilhoit sing on the show too, sing on the movie too, because she could sing. And it, it just became, um, he was our centerpiece. He was the, the, a lot of the catalyst for being in great moods all the time because of the music. So for somebody who didn't really want to be there, he sure made a difference. Yeah. Like I said, everything and everybody I spoke to specifically for that episode, people just, it's all positive about Jeff. Yeah. And I won't get into the big vinyl and 45 collection about the jazz and blues and other stuff that he had and family kept, but that's a whole nother story. But you mentioned, we'll wrap here because it's deeply personal. And obviously I'm going to bring up Patrick Swayze and everybody same thing as Jeff and Sam everybody just loved Patrick and that's the other connection between Roadhouse and Point Break was Patrick was in both movies with you but you mentioned the dance scene and something that hit me right in the gut was the story I heard you tell about you had the day before or a couple days before some personal stuff really hit you word had got out at least amongst the crew and whatnot because there wasn't social media and stuff at the time so you were in the makeup trailer from the way i heard it patrick came in and you guys were talking and he gave you a real pep talk to go hey you got this are you comfortable in telling that story yeah sure um so the night before we shot that, um, my then fiance um, took his own life and he tried to take mine first and thank goodness for my martial arts. But um, I had to figure out how I was going to get through the next day because we, we had to shoot the, the dance the next day. And of course I'd been up all night and you know, the police and the ambulances and all of that. And uh, I just, I just didn't know how I was going to get through it. And I walked into the makeup, makeup room and he kind of pulled me aside and he and, and Rowdy um, Harrington, the director, and they basically said, um, you know, if you can pull this off, you are, you'll be a true actor because you, if you can hide all that emotion and bring out the character of Denise, um, during the takes, that'll be a testimony to who you are as an actor. And that, like we talked about in the very beginning, was the challenge then. This is the, the, the motivation to be able to do this. Um, he was a very tender soul. He, he was probably too sensitive sometimes. Uh, he was just, he just had too much. He was very um, influenced by, by, you know, people, um, cared about people. Uh, wanted to, you know, wanted to be 
there for people and uh, he was definitely there for me and uh, my makeup artist too. Um, like I, if I'd start to cry, he's like, you're screwing up my makeup. You know, he, he does things to make me laugh and giggle. And, um, and, and uh, um, just before I got on stage, I just remember thinking, you know, if you can do this, you deserve this role, but you're going to have to do it. And um, that same thing, like in Point Break, it just clicked. I knew I had to do it. I knew this scene was really important, especially for Patrick, because it was a big scene. And um, the minute that music start, man, I was, I was out of body experience. And then the minute it stopped, I was like, did I get it? Did we do it? <laughs> it was, um, I think that that changed my whole look on what it's like to be an actor. People think it's, it's always easy and it's not always easy, even when it might look that way, but he definitely made me look like it was easy. But with that being said, and if I may ask to follow up with this is were there, and I mean this respectfully, were there drugs and alcohol involved in that? But no, also- drug. No, very limited alcohol, no. It, he was just, um, he, he, my late fiance was a very, was an actor as well. He was actually the actor that I went, that's how I got Roadhouse was because he was the one that was winning for the interview. And then I get the job and it was very hard on him. And it was hard to see me succeeding when he's been, had been working in the business for many years. And he was a very talented actor and, um, he had a, a pretty rough childhood, you know, he, I think his dad was pretty hard on him. And it, it, like you talked about mental health, he, um, he was the clown all the time until he wasn't the clown and something snapped and he woke me up in the middle of the night with a shotgun to my head and said, well, we're going together. And uh, bless his soul. He, he, if, if we would have understood mental health in those days better, if I would have understood it better, maybe I would have seen it coming, um, but I didn't. But the other part of that question I was going to ask as well, because obviously you had to push through to get through the day and the next couple of days and whatnot for something that serious and deep in real life. But with that being said, how soon were you able to separate yourself from the project to be able to, I don't know if the word decompress would be the appropriate word, but try, just trying to wrap your head around that personal situation. Well, as soon as we finished filming, I flew home and um, I just spent some time, at, you know, out in the woods and with my family and, um, just got away from it, decompress. And, and then I, I sought out help when I came back and I, I did it because I wanted to learn, uh, not only for myself, but in the future. And as much as that whole portion of my life was so hard, it has helped me to help others. It's probably why I align myself a lot with veterans because I have a, at least some kind of data on what it's like to, to have someone that, wants to leave this planet uh, and to see the signs. And when I visit VA hospitals, 
Um, I, I feel like I have a little bit of insight and that little bit of insight helps me get in there and, and create some better, more positive energy. Um, as much as I would never want to go through it again, I am glad I was there and have learned from it because it has given me the opportunity to, um, to be there for others that are in the same situation. Yeah. And it goes back to the early part of our conversation, I would say, and learning to be a better communicator but you mentioned it we hinted at mental health and stuff here too and because nowadays in 2022 and such in past several years we talk whether it's with the vets or other folks we do talk about or it's more talked about now with PTSD and all that kind of just those different aspects of things but before I let you go you mentioned being supportive of vets and stuff. Is there a particular group that you like to try to support? The National Veterans Foundation. Okay, so I will get links from you from that as well so we can share them as well. But I know you said when we were talking on the phone last week that starting the 10th or so, you got projects coming up. Can you speak on what you got coming up or is that still hush-hush? Yeah, we can't just yet, but two really great films. One, I think is going to be looked at for the Oscars with Regina King, and we're super proud of her. We work with her on Southland, so we're happy to support her again on this huge film. So, yes, it's we're, we're super excited. Yay. Well, if folks want to find you, what is the best way they can do so appropriately? Appropriately, yeah. yes. I'm, I'm on Instagram and I'm on, uh, I'm on Facebook for the most part. Um, you can find me in both of those spaces. And uh, if you're wanting to get in the business or you're in the business, you can find me at stunaccess.com. And we will have links to all that posted with all the outlets on that, whether it be Spotify, Apple, YouTube, and Amazon Music, all, all the fun spots that you will find us. Julie Michaels, thank you so much. Jonathan, can I tell you, I've done a lot of interviews. You're the best. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I, and I appreciate you being open and honest as well. Hey, I know we have a lot of horror fans that listen to our shows, and I know things have been tough for everybody across the board these past six or seven months with what's been going on in the real world, but I wanted to make a suggestion to you horror fans, because I know part of the normal routine year in and year out is to attend different conventions to meet some of your favorite horror stars. However, none of us have been able to do that because of obvious reasons. But I do have a little suggestion for you. SignatureHorror.com Now, some may ask, what is that? Well, they obtain autographs for the fans from some of their favorite stars, from some of their favorite franchises. 
will it be the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, and many more. They have different options such as, besides getting their autographs, you can do live Zoom calls with your favorite stars. You can do personalized videos for people, greetings of some sort. They just have many options. So if you're looking for to spend some money that you may have spent at conventions, check them out and see the options they have. SignatureHorror.com That's right, SignatureHorror.com Hey, this is Kane Hodder. You are listening to Crazy Train Radio. Keep listening, or else. 